This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello, I'm Zachary Oliver. Welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. I am the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog, and I just messed up my intro. I've been doing it the same every single time. It's frustrating. <laughs> okay, so this is the Theology Gaming Podcast. We are a couple members down, but we're going to strive to make the best podcast we can using our best skills of improvisation. And other we're stuff. digging deep. We're yes. digging deep today. And my only guest, of course, not the least of which, is Ted Warren. Hi, Ted. Hey, Wildman Ted here. Yeah, and everybody else abandoned me. So. Well, one of them was sick. He has a, a sick excuse. So um, the others are unexcused absences, though. Yeah, pray for Josh. Josh yeah. is sick. Josh would definitely be talking about indie games right now if you weren't out of commission. But, you know, the show must go on. And since we have a rigorous schedule now, we've got to keep going. So, And I look forward to covering indie games in the future because I have something to say about it. But you'll just have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So instead, we're going to cover something me and Ted both like to do, which is... It's time for Collector's Corner with Zach and Ted. Yay. I wish I had theme music. I'm going to put theme music in. Put something in. Come on, come on, come on, come on. A tiny commercial jingle. <laughs> okay, and what is Collector's Corner? Well, Collector's Corner is a time when Zach or Ted or whoever else that likes to collect retro or even modern game stuff talks about recent acquisitions and finds. Alright, so since you are collecting actual video games and I did not, <laughs> Yes. Alright, and the first item that I would like to share with you, and I'm going to show you on the screen, is uh, some of these are some Atari games. Here is... Oh, that's right. Well, this in my hand <laughs> is a boxed Space Invaders. Oh, wow. So uh, I've, I've made a commitment to try to buy things in the box as much as possible as a collector. So. And it's shrink-wrapped. It is fake shrink-wrapped, if that makes sense. But that's cool. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> looks good. And, uh, you know, at least I know that uh, it's not going to get any, any more damaged by that. But uh, let's see, what does it say about... It, it's kind of funny. In the old days, they didn't even try to describe the game <laughs> or show a picture of it. It just says, use your joystick controllers with this game program, Atari. <laughs> what uh, what system is it? Uh, Atari 2600. Okay, I'm sorry. that is a 2600 box. Yes. Okay. Um, it is a 2600 uh, box, but it did not cost 2600 bucks. Thank goodness. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, it does have here in the description moving shields, zigzagging, laser bombs, fast laser bombs, and invisible invaders. I guess those are some of the um, when you would hit the select button for different game types. Yeah, let me contrast I, with a more modern game box. Let me read. Okay. I, it says. Adapt, engage, survive. Can anyone guess yeah. what this is? <laughs> Stunning visuals and advanced Cryo Engine 2 technology provide unmatched realism and intensity. <laughs> Adapt combat tactics by customizing your nano suit armor and weapons in real time. Confront an ancient alien terror to save mankind from destruction. And that's Crisis. So <laughs> that, Yeah, I knew it was. I didn't know. Which Crisis is it? The first one. Oh, the first one. Wow, that was pretty vivid, dis vividly described for the first cri crisis. <laughs> it's the only, wow. the only good crisis, I would add. 
Well, we'll contrast it with another 2600 game, Super Breakout, in the box here. <laughs> and how does it describe this action-packed game? It shows sort of a spaceman on the front. The space, almost all those games back then had something to do with space. Um, but it says, Breakout, Double, Cavity, Progressive, One Player, or Two Players. It's just so simple in this description. <laughs> I think it's but this more, is a great game. I think it's more they had no idea who they were marketing towards. Yes, it was just, we made this game. <laughs> so, and, of course, this was an arcade hit, you know, so they were just adapting, just like Space Invaders. So people sort of knew, I guess, at the time what to expect. Yeah, like Pac-Man, you would just kind of look at the box and you go, oh, Pac-Man. Yeah, or maybe we could try your descriptive skills here. Brother. You're a block at the bottom of the screen, hitting another block up toward colored blocks at the top of the screen. Visceral block smashing <laughs> action. <laughs> there we go. See the blast. Feel the heat. It's super breakout. Hit balls at right angles towards <laughs> other blocks. Employ English. And uh, defeat your opponents. Actually, you, you did not want to employ English uh, shots in in Super Breakout because you wanted it to stay as straight as possible. Yeah, before it bounce, 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 its way out to the bottom of the screen. All right, do you have a, something else to show, or um, no? I don't know if we're going to take turns or or what. That's so. it. No, I have more. I have oh, more. You have more. Yeah. Uh, well, I I don't know if I should show mine because technically they're not video games; they're books. I have one book. Okay. So you, I think books are allowed. Okay, well, I have too many books, so I guess I'll just choose one that looks cool. Yeah, yeah, just grab one. Okay, so I went to a used bookstore. They had a giant sale, so I picked up this book, which is The Romance of King Arthur by Sir Thomas Mallory, and it's fully illustrated. Fully illustrated? Oh, romance illustrated. Hardcover. Yeah. I was like, why is this in here? I don't know. I like King Arthur myths, so right. I figured I'd... You know, pick this up. And so it's really interesting that I got it for $3. That sounds pretty great. I actually like uh, the King Arthur stuff, too. I, I'm sure you must have read the Once and Future King. I am planning on reading it. My brother it read the whole thing. It is great. You know, people just know the first part about it with him as a boy. Yeah. Um, but the great the, – it's so excellent with him as an adult because it's tragic. The whole book is really a tragedy. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I like reading about Arthurian legends because it always yeah. has that strange sense that you're reading about, like, a different cultural time frame. And, yeah. You know, there was kind of a clear distinction between what's good and evil and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's true fantasy, too. I mean, as far as we know, he never existed, but maybe yeah. one day archaeology will tell us something different. And there's, it's originally a French myth that's translated into English? I, I'd heard that it goes back to uh, potentially something in the Roman Empire, someone whose name was like Arturas or something like that. They had a movie about yeah, that. Yeah, The Search but... for the Holy Grail, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, also... If uh, if you're into any C.S. Lewis, uh, his Space Trilogy, which is a lot of reading, three books, but the the final one, and I'm sorry I don't remember the name of it off the, off the top of my head, but it actually has it. <laughs> the resurrection of King Arthur at the uh, I, I don't know if it's called Out of the Fallen Planet or I, I don't remember, but um, so anyway, he's he's in there. I mean, Lewis was kind of into uh, King Arthur as well, so that hideous strength, it's called. That Hideous Strength is the final book of that trilogy? Yeah. I know it was like Perlandra and... No, Out of the Silent... Oh, well, I don't no, know. No, you got it. Out of the Silent Planet. Was it? Planet. Okay. Yeah. 
You win. All right. You win. One was Mars, one was Venus, and then the last one takes place on Earth. Yeah. And I read the unfinished part called The Dark Tower, which is interesting. Really? Yeah. It's really, it's completely unfinished, so I read, like, half of it. You know, you read it, and then there's just no more words. Nothing. There's nothing. I want to read the end of the story. Yeah. We've been, uh, I, I lead a, uh, a a life group, they call it, a uh, group of men, We and we've been doing um, The Great Divorce, which uh, Lewis wrote, and uh, the, mo- three out of the four guys absolutely hate the book, and they're wondering why I'm doing it, so... <laughs> Why did they hate the book? It's like opposition. You know why? Yeah. Well, it, I, I I have to be careful with what I say and think yeah. no sometimes. No names. No names. Everyone's um, names will remain confidential. You know, number one, it's it's fiction, and maybe that's a little harder to grasp. And it is an older English sort of language. You know, English from the forties, which I don't have a problem with. I like that. But anyway, it's it's a little hard for. Uh, Get to get their heads around, and I know in the future I'll have to do something like you know the shack or something because. <laughs> you know, I, was... I, I think it might be that a lot of the Great Divorce is not necessarily literal, but allegorical or metaphorical. Well, certainly it is. So I mean, the, the whole thing is is not even speculative; it's just fiction. And it's he's careful at, at the uh, uh, prologue to, to make sure that that this is not a theological book. Yeah. This is just a you know what if kind of scenario. What if uh, people from hell took a holiday, and were allowed to to visit heaven? So. It's not a thing that's done often in modern times to have kind of a narrative that's just completely allegorical. Yeah. You know, from yeah. place to place, and this thing represents that thing, and it's not very clear whether or not the author wanted you to know what each thing meant. Right. Yeah, that's what this one is. This is, uh, and some of it, you know, he wrote this sort of at the same time as uh, he was doing the Mere Christianity radio broadcast. Oh, okay. So some of the chapters are almost like fictional descriptions of some of the things that he's described and talked about in Mere Christianity. So there's some tie-ins, but uh, again, that's it's maybe I just picked something a little hard. <laughs> that's not uh, a bad thing. And they're like, oh, come on, Mr. Seminary, you know. So. <laughs> All right, that was, a, that, was, that was a rabbit hole. I love tangents. Yes, I think you're going to like this next game that I'm going to show you. Okay, show us. So this is show in the... me, and then I'll tell everybody else. Yes, this is in the box. It is for the Sega Genesis, and the game is called Populous. So, I like Populous. Uh, this one actually has in the description, create the world in a week and destroy it in a heartbeat. Lead your followers, unleash natural disasters, and change the face of mighty planets. Conquering 500 worlds is a task worthy of any supreme being. Oh. So, so, have you ever played this before? I have played Populous. Right. I have the SNES version. Right. Yeah, and it's good. I like. I like God. Yeah, games. I think it looks. It's a great premise for a game, and uh, it's sort of like SimCity Plus, where you can raise mountains and lower valleys, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like uh, God Games, so that's yeah, that's eye true. Eye. And this has the official Genesis seal of quality. Yeah, just in case, you know. So I know it's good. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I thought to find, and this is also what's unique about this is this is a cardboard box for a Genesis game, because okay. usually Genesis games come in that sort of hard plastic uh, case. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, so this that's what sort of caught my eye about it. Yeah, that's strange. Populous. Well, of yeah. course, Populous is a PC game, so it's going to be right. best on PC. But yeah, it's, it's dumbed down, I'm yeah. sure. It's, but... No, it's the same game. It's perfectly it... playable 
But I'm, I'm actually going to play that one. Some stuff I get, uh, I don't ever play. I just put on the shelf and say, look what I have. But uh, I'm going to put that in my Retron, my little uh, uh, system that plays Genesis, Super Nintendo, and Nintendo, and, and try that out. Have you heard about the Retron? Is it Retron 5? Yeah, I want to pick yes. one up. I do too, because it's supposed to play like seven different uh, game systems. Yeah, it, it, it would incentivize Eight. me to yeah. buy those sorts of things. Plus it has HDMI output. Thumbs so up. it would work better, you know, those older games on a modern TV set. Yeah. So. I want to play Earthbound, but I don't yeah. want to use my old SNES because I have no idea whether it works. I haven't right. tested it in like a year. So <laughs> I really want to play Earthbound, and I'm just going to wait for the Retron 5. Is your SNES like browned uh, from the sun? You know, like some some SNESs you see are discolored. Yeah, it does not. It's seen better days. Yeah, <laughs> they <laughs> put something in the plastic to make it more fire resistant or something like that, and it ended up making them change color over time. Yeah, they brown. Yeah, That's I mean it's really bad looking. Disgusting. And I've seen some stuff on YouTube where people take it apart and they use OxyClean and peroxide and they make a paste. And set it out in the sun all day, and and it makes it slightly, you know, better. <laughs> it makes so. it yellow and not so much brown, <laughs> which is better, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. So fortunately, the one I have is is not uh, discolored. It's in pretty good shape. Yeah. Is it like the Model One or the Model Two? I think it's a Model One. It's it's near the beginning. Uh, okay. to, I think it's. I'm not positive, but I think it's my original one that I got back in the nineties. I like All the right. color scheme of the Super Famicom better myself. But. Oh, who does? I mean, that is great. Yeah, the uh, the uh, the buttons on the the joypad for the Famicom with yeah. with four colors, and then you go to this the Super Nintendo, and it's purple and light purple. <laughs> so here's not fun, as good. Here's a fun fact: there's a riddle in Breath of Fire 2 that requires knowledge of the Super Famicom controller. Now, if you were playing this in 1996, they translated it just literally. Mm-hmm. So it involves the colors of the buttons on the controller, and a U.S. player is going to say, well, they're like light purple and purple. And <laughs> yeah, that's all the, you get. The answer is like red, yellow, blue. <laughs> and there's no way you could have known this back in 1996, So, other than with a player's guide. So. You have Good to job. look it up Good job, online. Capcom. Good job, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm only like eight years old. How am I supposed to figure out this thing? So. All right. Well, give me another book here. All right. Let me look in this list. Okay. So I've been I read the Divine Comedy over my last vacation, and right. I wanted to. I need different translations. So I read like one by Mark Musa. I guess it's good. I don't know. Penguin translations know. usually are good, but there's like a billion of these translations since. You know, the book came out 700 years ago, and right. it's from Italian to English, so people have and been trying to figure did out. Did this guy have a full name, or was he like Cher and Sting? I mean, I'm Dante. No, he has a real name. It's okay. Dante Alighieri. And people have been trying to translate it into a way that fits or is faithful to the original Italian, which is right. written in a rhyme scheme called Terze Zima, which is basically like every other line rhymes with every other line. Uh-huh. So it goes A B A, B C B, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is impossible to do in English. You can't do it. It's really tough in a translation to, yeah. to ever pull that off fully. Because there's not enough words that match or rhyme in English. So you need, to you need to learn Italian. Yeah. So 
<laughs> or or I could just read these English translations before me, <laughs> which I'm going to do. So I picked up like half a translation twice, mm-hmm. and then I picked up a full translation. So here's the stack. It's a stack of books right yeah. there. So I have one translation by Alan Mendelbaum, which I guess is pretty good. And we have one by John Chiardi, Ciardi? I don't know. I'm not Italian, so I can't tell you. And then one by Dorothy Sayers, which is the full translation relative to her work on it. And I've heard different things about every translation because the people on Amazon.com are fickle. And they don't all agree about what's the best one. So I'm There sure. are really some excellent book reviews on, on Amazon. Yeah, and the more, recent, the more recent translation of Dante's Divine Comedy is they come in one volume and then they have like – Footnotes upon footnotes upon footnotes. Everything you could possibly know about it. So each volume comes in its own separate thing. Like you get the Inferno, and then it's a thousand pages. Of, of commentary or yeah. extra information, the yeah. Whole, you know, the poem takes up less than like 90 pages, but the book yeah. takes up a thousand pages of footnotes. So that's scary. Well, we'll, we'll probably hear a little bit more about this from you in the future. Yeah, so. possibly. Possibly. That's no small <laughs> task to just read the book, you know? Yeah, I've finally read it because people have been saying good things about but it. But if you really want insight, I think you need to actually play the game. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> people are saying so many bad things about it to me, and I assume they're right, but, you know, i got to play it. See if the I think Beatrice, isn't that the name of uh, his love that he goes to rescue, I think? In the game, yes. Yeah, She's in the, the game. Traditional damsel in distress, which everyone, right. you know, has everyone in a tizzy. But <laughs> the other one in the in the book, she is the personification of wisdom. Ah, you know, that was very popular. Yeah, uh, and, and continues to be. Go ahead. And she was the well, according to Dante, right? He's interpreting her as like wisdom, as described in Proverbs. So mm-hmm. she ends up being his guide through heaven and the Empyrean realms. So, and she's the one that initially sends Virgil to get Dante through hell and purgatory. No. Yeah, I guess video game players just aren't intelligent enough for it to be that. So they had to just make it his wife or girlfriend. Also, violence is much easier to do on screen than dialogue. Yeah, which I, I'm not going to say I'm not okay with, <laughs> because <laughs> translating a book, a 700 year old book, to a video game is probably really hard. That's a challenge. I give him props for even thinking about it, but it, it didn't work for no. sure. And copying God of War probably wasn't the best <laughs> idea either. <laughs> yes, that was a problem. Yeah. But they could have done something totally unique, but then who and knows? Then... Yeah. All right, am I up to bat? Yes, you're up to bat. All right. The next one I have in my hand here in the box is... 1080 10... Snowboarding. Yep. yep. Snowboarding game, an excellent snowboarding game for the Nintendo 64. Yeah, I like that game. And uh, I don't think I have the instruction manual, which made me a little sad. Oh. But Well, it's but, rare just to find an N64 boxed game. And the box is in good condition. Yeah. So. Thumbs up to so that. That's like, another no, I one threw that. mine away. <laughs> yes, so many people did. Here, let me just say this. You're taking a Tahoe 155 snowboard down a steep, bumpy incline at night, and you're about to top off an indie nosebone with the 360 air. What does any and of you that haven't mean? left your living room. Yeah. 
They got better at their descriptions as time went on. <laughs> in indie tailbone, what the heck is that? <laughs> you know, that was probably back, you know, people knew what that was in, in the day. I know what an ollie was in the world of skateboarding. An ollie, yeah. I remember this, that. I don't think I played this with the Rumble Pack, but it works with the Rumble Pack. It does? So, yeah. Well, you had to own Star Fox 64 to have a Rumble Pack. To get the Rumble Pack. Yeah, but I do have a Rumble Pack. <laughs> so... So that's a great game there. I'm looking forward to it. I may not play that, but uh, it's a good game. Yeah, you should. You should pick it. Yeah, yeah I and, did play it. Yeah, and make sure you pick Ricky Winterboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one where when you pick your borders, they're like in the snow lodge or whatever. So you, as you turn the camera, like one guy's up high, another they're guy's hanging around. <laughs> yeah, one's a girl. I think there's always at least one girl. The sequel is not as good as they say, but... I haven't played it, so I couldn't tell you. I never played the sequel. I didn't. But there there was also a game on the PlayStation 1 around the same time that was another pretty good snowboarding game, and my brain is not remembering what it was called. But uh, it's, it's going to come back to me eventually. I'll wake you up. I'll call you at 2 in the morning <laughs> when I remember. Okay, it's 1080 Avalanche is the name of the sequel. and Oh, yeah, that was on the – what was that system? Uh, that's on GameCube. On GameCube. And the one you're thinking of, I think, I'm not googling. Cool this. Borders, maybe. Yes, you're right. Okay. That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. I didn't play any snowboarding games on the PlayStation, so I couldn't. Really and they had some iterations, you know, Cool Borders two and such, but um, but it, it was it was good as well. But there's something special about that uh, Nintendo 1080 game. Yeah, <laughs> I remember playing it a lot. Yeah. All right, what's next? All right, let me see. I have, by the way, five things left, just for reference. Five. Okay. Well, we can get that then. Um, this is a long pause. <laughs> oh, this is where I'm supposed to do something other than slurp coffee. Okay, here we go. Um, since I'm reading it currently, I may as well look at it. I, I got this. This is Robert Louis Stevenson's timeless classic, Treasure right. Island. I've never read the other. Oh, I've shirt. read that. Yeah, it's a good book. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Yes. I mean, it's like a high adventure sort of thing. And it's sort of that classic era where they took their time writing about an adventure. Yeah, he's just yeah. kind of languishing around details. Yeah. yeah. And my point of reference, for those who are wondering, on Treasure Island is Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm missing all the jokes, but I'm I... getting the writing instead. <laughs> um. Yes, the uh, Muppet Treasure Island though wasn't too bad of a movie if I remember back no. in the day. I watched it. But they don't trample a blind person in it, so it's so, missing that kind of quality to it. That Kermit the Frog here, kill him, boys, you know. <laughs> and then in the book, they're like, "You trampled that guy, awesome!" Yeah, they all cheer on. It's like bizarre, <laughs> different times, I guess. Yeah, but that boy has quite an adventure. Yeah, Jim Hawkins. Yeah, Jim yeah, Hawkins. And Shiver Me yeah. Timbers and Yo-Ho-Ho and a Bottle of Rum and all that. Yeah, stuff. that's probably the book that made us think that's how all pirates talked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and probably none of them did. Probably they were all like, good day, sir. A good day to sail and rob for some booty. <laughs> or they were probably like, they're basically criminals, so. All right, I have a book next. And my book is A Player's Guide. For Halo 3. For, yeah, go ahead. You can say it. Halo 3. I know you have. It's all right. I will have forgotten by the time I ever get there. <laughs> you have quite a collection of player's guides. Yes. I've watched some of your videos of it. 
uh, like more than one video dedicated just to players' guides. Yeah. That's how you're collecting. <laughs> you had to categorize it, <laughs> quite honestly. So this was done by. Um, it says the official one by Microsoft and Bungie. I was trying to see who the uh, maker of, of the player's guide was, but I'm not seeing it off the top of my head. Um, but I recently got the Halo 3 for free through Xbox Live Gold, so I downloaded it. Okay. So I have the game able to play it on my 360, and I've never played it. So. Really? Never? Well, I get a little seasick playing these FPSs, so... Ah, okay. So you have the same problem as Japanese people do. Well, I've got some motion sickness pills in the cabinet, and I think I'm going to try them and wait an hour and then try playing some of these uh, first-person shooters. But uh, yeah. but my Japanese brothers out there, I feel you. I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, because I... they, they do not like FPS at all. Uh, if I'm watching like gameplay of one, it affects me. I can't, I can't even watch it so something really good gets off on me i i can do it a little bit and halo i played halo one with my son with a split screen and had no trouble i don't know if it was a split screen or the fact that in in the halo games you spend some time outside uh you know inside a vehicle like what was that thing you called at the end that i'm warthog? supposed to the warthog you know you get into that you're not in first person in the, no. in the warthog so it's it's enough to sort of break the gameplay that maybe keeps me from getting sick. But, uh, you know, the Call of Duties and, and such, they, they get to me after a while. Yeah. Well, it's mostly about shooting people in the face, so it's not, it's not so bad. <laughs> You're not missing, you know, out completely. From one to, hey, this one's different. This you one's use, different. You use a, use a laser rifle to shoot this guy in the face. <laughs> and different sorts of viscera fly out if you shoot <laughs> this guy in the face. <laughs> I mean, do you ever remember playing um, Medal of Honor? That was one of the first ones where when you would shoot the uh, the, the Germans in, in the head, their helmet would fly off. It would go, teak, you know, and their helmet would fly I off. I used to do that for fun. Yeah. <laughs> so th things have come a long way yeah. since then, that's for sure. For me, it would be like Goldeneye. You shoot someone in the head, and it discolors it red. <laughs> it didn't matter how many times you would shoot it. It would just, like, turn red. Just discolor it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I guess you're up. All right. Let me look into this stack okay this is an interesting one uh right. joan of arc joan of arc by mark twain well that's not the oh. full title the full title is personal recollections of joan of arc by the seer louis de comte her page and secretary so, ah. so, so basically this is mark twain's favorite book that he ever wrote he didn't like any of the other books even though i haven't did. read they were really this popular one. But this Joan of Arc book is his mm -hmm. favorite to write, but it was critically panned upon release and is still pretty much forgotten now. So that's why Ignatius Press is kind of doing this instead of like Penguin or something, right? And I really enjoy this book. It's completely serious and straight and does all the religious things, and Mark Twain wasn't particularly religious, so it's really no. strange. It's a very strange book. So he says it took 10 years of research and three years of writing. I'm interested in reading that because yeah. I've read qu quite a few Twains and uh, never read that one. Yeah, I know. It's strange. I found it on like Kindle, just searching around. Mm -hmm. and, like Mark Twain wrote a Joan of Arc book. I bet I could get that for free on Kindle too. Yeah, you can. It's out of copyright. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, that's an excellent recommendation. And it's kind of neat because you're picking some stuff that's recognizable but sort of off the path a little bit yeah. too. I picked up a bunch of classics, but – that one I saw, and I'm like, I've never seen this in print ever. 
So I think I'll pick this up. <laughs> All right, am I up? Yes. Okay. Now I have just a cartridge in this case for the classic Nintendo, and it is a blue cartridge. The name of the game is called Raid 2020. The reason why I picked it up, and my friend Squiggly was the one that pointed this out as a possible one that I'd be interested in, is it is one of these games manufactured by Color Dreams. And it is missing something on the cartridge, and that is the Nintendo seal of quality. So they had found a way to bypass that, and they manufactured several games that they didn't have to get, or well, they should have probably gotten the Nintendo seal of approval, but they didn't. But and another interesting thing is some of the Bible games on the NES yeah. come in this blue cartridge, and they are quite collectible. So if you have any of those, or if you see those, grab them because oh, the they are oh. because of the unique situation of them not being, uh, you know, authentic, authorized by Nintendo games. So. Uh, because I had several of those copies of those when they were just a dime a dozen, and I gave some away. I gave some away to a church, but they, you know, they, it's kind of funny that the Bible games were illegally done by, yeah, by a I company. <laughs> I think Color Dreams became Wisdom Tree, and that's how we ended well, up with the Bible games. Yeah, or, or I think Wisdom Tree was working with Color Dreams, and then they broke away from Color Dreams too, because Wisdom Tree is apparently still in existence. But is no longer connected with with Color Dreams. But I don't know what Color Dreams is is up to. At least they're not producing things illegally, which is good. Yes. So, but I I just thought that was kind of neat. And the cartridge is in fairly good shape. There's a little bit of discoloration on it, but um, it's just sort of a unique enough item to want to look at. I remember having they were black cartridges in my case. I mean, they looked the same, but they were black. And one mm-hmm. of them was the Bible Adventures one, and the other uh-huh. one was the Moses one. Mm-hmm. And that's one where like Moses would talk or something, and like a W would come out of his mouth yeah. and kill people or something. <laughs> it reminds me a bit of um, uh, I don't know what game, but it was a puzzle a, type yeah, game, like a push and block type game. Yeah, a little bit of Dig Dug like, but not exactly. Mm. But the gravity, I think, was one of the gameplay elements. It wasn't a horrible game, mm. but it's one of those where you sort of I sort of played it because it was a Bible game, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not because of anything else. Right. Right. If they would throw in a little Bible verse in between levels and stuff like that or do a trivia question. Yeah, and you're like, skip it. Get to the game. Get to the game. <laughs> Get rid of well, I love Bible. Bible trivia, so um, I kind of liked that part. But <laughs> All right, three items left. But you're up. We already talked about the ones in Future King. I picked that up. Yes. So. Oh yeah, we did. Talk. So you did get that. Okay. I did good. get that. My brother read it, and then he said, "This is really good. You should read this." And I'm like, "Where am I supposed to find this?" Lo and behold, it's in a bookstore. The only copy, of course. And it's a trilogy, right? I mean, they're all all together, but there's, I think it's three three books in one, and Once in Future King. There's four books, and then there's one posthumously released book. Ah. So I don't know if it's finished or not. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, but there's four distinct books that are released and makes sense <laughs> all right so all right so I that's covered a strange book this is lawrence stern's the life and opinions of tristram shandy gentleman <laughs> hold it up a little bit hello higher for me go. yes it is uh-huh. a strange strange story they look very dandy in there yes. uh, on the picture well it's kind of a book which is a satire and a humorous take on biographies 
and novels and basically every genre. It doesn't really fit into one. So mm-hmm. what happens is most of the book revolves around him talking about the life of Tristram Shandy. And where do you start talking about somebody's life, right? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, in the womb after conception, oh. of course. So, and this is the wandering thoughts of a child in the womb, and it goes back and forth between this and his actual life, and it keeps, you know, getting off topic and making up characters and that sort of thing. It's that's really, pretty creative, actually, isn't yeah. it? That's some creative writing going yeah, and on. This was in when was that? I don't know when it was written, but I can look at it right now. <laughs> See if there's a copyright on that or some information. Okay, first published in 1759. Wow, that is some creative writing. Talking about someone in a womb doing a biography? <laughs> yeah. That, that, that was breaking the mold. It is a joyful celebration of the endless possibilities of the art of fiction. Ah. Yeah, so it's, it's known for being kind of just postmodern, as they might say now. Right. Because it doesn't really focus and it just bounces around, but... You'll hear people talk about it. when they That would make it truly ahead of its time. But I don't know. Is it enjoyable to read? I don't know. But We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> I will report back if you remember. That is really interesting because it, it just – it really was out, out of the mold there. That was certainly the age, the beginning of the modern era. And, you know, rationalism and people were writing things a little bit more structured. And you get this guy <laughs> just <laughs> – I'll just write about whatever I feel like it. Yeah, I'll just keep writing. A yeah. real cock and bull story, as they'd say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was written, like, a hundred years before Treasure Island, to give some context here. Right. So that's really weird. And, you know, for people that say, oh, people that lived hundreds of years ago, they weren't as advanced as we are now. No, they were They were pretty advanced. They may not have had technology, but yeah. they had incredible minds, as you know. Uh, reading so much of uh, theology and, and things like that. Yeah, and now we're all ADHD because we have... Exactly. So. <laughs> I didn't understand in five seconds. It's no what? good. What? What? <laughs> Eyes wide. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> all right. My turn. Mm-hmm. My last three are all going to be Activision games for the Atari 2600. The first game is a game called Laser Blast. This one actually has a description in the back that's a little better. Uh, As the intrepid commander of a fleet of intergalactic spacecraft, you're engaged in a vicious battle with dreaded enemy attack forces, and there are no pushovers. But uh, I think this is pretty much you're just like a little ship in the middle of the screen with a laser that you can um, shoot straight down and, you know, destroy things that are on the ground. Huh. Interesting. Well, I think I we do we have somebody joining us? I'm not sure. We'll see. And if they don't join us, we'll just cut this out and we'll proceed onward. Excellent. <laughs> oh, there's a movie called Laser Blast, apparently. I did not know that. It is not well liked. Uh, I'm sure you're probably aware that the the whole Activision story with them breaking away from designing games for Atari because Atari would not give writers credit, creators credit. And uh, this was a game that was created, it says on the back, with credit right there on the box, conceived and designed by David Crane. Really? Wow. Usually they wouldn't do that. I know in Japanese games they would never do that. Right. the first 20 or 25 years. Yeah, everything was, you're part of the company. And I'm sure that was Atari's goal as well at the time. They were just following that model. But this was the time in the 80s when 
uh, creators of games really started to have a voice. Hmm. And, and that was a big step. All right, well, it's it's your turn, Zach. I have two games left. All right, I, I'll find something to show. All right, <laughs> search deep inside. My heart. Your heart and your library. Uh, and I'll use filler. <laughs> I like playing the Atari 2600, but it doesn't look good on the modern LCD flat screens, so... I like to play it on an old CRT television. Okay, here's one. I picked up a lot of Greek and Roman literary works. <laughs> All right. Because Dante's Inferno and Dante's whatevers always deal with them over uh -huh. and over, over and over and over again, referencing people I don't know, and I feel like I'm missing out on something, so I figured I'd pick up the Aeneid by Virgil. All right. Which is the Greek... The Great Saga of the Roman Empire, from its beginnings, uh, it's supposed to be kind of a sort of sequel to the Iliad, and the, uh, you know, the Siege of Troy and all mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then from Troy happens a few survivors who go off and found Rome. So it's trying to link Greek and Roman civilization together, you know, kind of retaining the greatness, you know, to show that Rome is the bottom line. But apparently it was never finished technically, and the author Virgil wanted it burned, but thank goodness they didn't burn it. Because, yeah, thank goodness for yeah. that. So, it's pretty good literature, and I'm going to read it at some point, but I have to read the Iliad and the Odyssey first. Yeah, you don't want to do part three. You no. want to start with part one and work your way. Well, it's a uh, manufactured part three, but I imagine it's a pretty good part three. <laughs> Excellent. You know, you're making my uh, Activision games compared to your great literary works. <laughs> Uh, I'm starting to feel a little intimidated. No, no, no. Don't feel intimidated. All right. Your next book needs to be a coloring book or something like that. Uh, I don't have any here on hand, but I could find one. All right. Well, the next one that I have is, uh, again, in a box, and it's by Activision, as I said earlier. It is the game Kaboom. Kaboom. Which is a very popular Activision game where it's a, a little robber dropping bombs and you're catching them in buckets below a game made by larry kaplan and it's a very uh fast-paced game it gets very hectic and frenetic i guess is a good word okay. as that guy is dropping those bombs like crazy and it's just it's really just sort of a reflex um game huh. so it's it's a it's a it's a good find and i'm glad to have that in my collection as well so you, you have an Atari 2600, I know, right? Uh, I do, yes, yes, okay. I do. The old wooden model. I got the wood green, yes. <laughs> I and never owned an Atari, I don't think so. I've been blessed to have a few people uh, give me some things, and my good friend Carl uh, gave me his Atari and a bunch of games that he just had in a room at his house, mm. and he knew that I was going to treasure it and take care of it, and I have. So, so that's how I got mine. Ted the collector. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, a little when people get the you know an understanding that you're somebody that at least is going to respect and display something that they are you know they just have in a box somewhere. It makes them feel good. Yeah, it's nice to take other people's things. <laughs> it is, and of course, I always promise that I'm not going to sell them or do anything yeah. profit based for them. When you borrow something or you know take it on long term loan. 
Yeah, yeah. You're not going to sell it off to someone. I'm, I promise I won't sell it unless the price is really, really good. Yeah. So. No, I, I will never sell it. All right, you're up one more time here. Yeah, even though this isn't all the books I picked up, I'll have to, I'll have to stop it here because we can't just keep going. <laughs> I've got one last thing, and then I'm I'm done with collector corner. Pick like a romance book or something. Come on, romance we gotta books. we gotta keep the average listeners intrigued. Who reads romance books? I don't know. Okay, one more kind of obscure <laughs> book. Let's see. I mean, I got the Canterbury Tales here and a bunch of Greek and Roman tragedies, but, you know. Right. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but here is the other one from Ritual to Romance by Jesse L. Weston. Ritual to Romance. Yeah, it's a critical commentary on Arthurian legends. Ah, which, Arthur pokes his head again. Yeah, which links them to ancient fertility myths, and it shows you how... Arthur legends are just kind of reinterpretations of older stuff. And I guess this is pretty revolutionary at the time when it was released in the mid-18... Uh, late 1800s or early mm-hmm. 1900s, I can't remember. But, you know, there's been Arthurian scholarship for a long time, and this was one of those kind of bombshells that defined the conversation for a long time. So I'm interested That's in reading fun. it. I can't really say if it's good or not, but... <laughs> that sounds pretty interesting, though. I think I'd rather read The Once and Future King out of my choices, though. Yeah, I think I would, too. <laughs> All right, my last game here. Activision again, in the box, but Pitfall. The classic great game on the, the Nintendo, I mean the Atari 2600. Yes, Pitfall Pitfall 1, where when he swings across, it goes, with that little Atari sound effect. And uh, I'm giving credit to people. Let's see who made this one. I can't believe they didn't have the name on there. These all these other ones have had the name. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So, but this this was perhaps people would probably argue one of the best games on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Is that it had pretty involved gameplay, and it just uh, I I don't think I ever beat it, but I know the I think the clock is winding down as you're playing it, so you really are under pressure to try to get all the gold that you can get huh. in your little character. I don't think I've ever played Pitfall. Really? No, but I played the sequel, <laughs> whatever it's called. Yeah, but and that supposedly is not a bad game they either. The Mayan Adventure. Oh, no, 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 no. There was one in between that. Um, yeah. But the Mayan Adventure was a horrible, <laughs> terrible game. <laughs> I agree. With awful platforming. Just terrible so yeah it, they you know they were trying to make it look better i guess that was in the 90s when that one was out it's so. one of those mid-90s platformers that didn't understand platformers at all yes and i may end up if i ever found that in the box i would probably get it just to so i could talk about how bad it is compared <laughs> to this one <laughs> to be angry about this. <laughs> <laughs> to express my uh, my extreme displeasure so Bad game designers. Good thing there's independent game designers, but that's a future podcast. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that yet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, do you have a final book, or do you just want to wrap her up uh, with uh, with my pitfall, incredible ending? I don't. I mean, I have a lot of books, but it's like mm-hmm. a lot of them are just kind of, yeah. I don't know. Okay, we can stop there. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, and that would be Collector's Corner, I guess. A unique feature of Theology Gaming Podcast. Yes, when we uh, don't know what we're supposed to be talking about because the person who came up with the topic isn't here. Supposedly is sick. Yeah, but we know. So now we're going to talk about, in a complete 180, 360 shift. <laughs> so if you do 180 and then a 360, you're actually just doing the 180. That is true. You're right back where you started. Or No. You're back where you started before you did the 360. <laughs> it's a 1080. All right. When you did a no. 360 and then a 180, you... Yes. No. <laughs> when you do a 180 and then a 360... How many turns is that? Okay, my brain's broken. But anyway... Yeah. Not mathematicians. Since, since you, Ted Loring, were playing Sleeping Dogs... Yes, I brought it up during a little bit of a discussion while yes. we were uh, writing about stuff. And you wanted to know what ludonarrative dissonance is. If only I had somebody out there that kind of had some expertise on this subject. Yeah, who has played Sleeping Dogs in some way, shape, or form. And I haven't, even though I probably should have. I got it recently for free, again, through Xbox Live. And do you enjoy it, or is it just... Oh, I think it's fantastic. Hmm. Yes, the uh, gameplay is really great. I love driving through whatever the city is. Hong Kong? Is it Hong Kong? Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't know. But, Let me uh, make sure. Let me make sure. We don't want to be the uninformed podcast, right? <laughs> is it Singapore? Is it Hong Kong? I don't know. It is Hong Kong, but I've never been to Hong Kong, so I, I don't know for sure. Okay. I hear a voice. Who is this voice? <laughs> a voice calling in the wilderness. It's Yen Wong. How you doing? I'm, I'm okay. I just came back from work. I just had dinner, and uh, it's nice to see you guys again. Oh. Well, it's great to, to see and hear you. Well, to hear you. I can't see you. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a webcam. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll Asian try. people are shy. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at your not knowing how to laugh, so... So, yeah, so Sleeping Dog so far has been pretty impressive. I've been kind of bogged down in a particular mission at Club Bam Bam where I can't beat those thugs up. They keep tackling me or grappling or something like that. Uh, but the driving part that I love the most is if you're being attacked by another bad guy or whatever, I think you can hit the X button and your car sort of like veers into him. It sort of does like an extra little smash thing. So you can really just shove a car, you know, into a light post or a building or, or whatever. I found that to be really satisfying. <laughs> and Have you reached the parts where, where you can you can hijack another car? You jump out of your own car and jump onto another guy's car. Have you done that yet? I have not. I bet, and I could do that at any point. You think, or is that later in the game? Um, I, I think later in the game they'll teach you how to do it. Uh, it's like a skill. That yeah, I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's totally unrealistic, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I'm probably at level two or three if if that game even has levels. But uh, I've just gotten a few power ups, um, and and learned things. But I really wish I could figure out these grapplers, but I, I'm not going to give up. I've been accused of being someone who gives up on games too easily. But I'm fighting this one to the bitter end, because I enjoy the story. I mean, it seems to be a neat story. But is it Ludolicious? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, 
you sound like you're still really in the beginning, though. Uh, have you even joined the gang yet? You have, right? Yes, I, I mean, pretty much doing small tasks for the gang right now. Uh, I'm definitely showing myself to be pretty good, and I, I have no doubt that I'm going to be working my way up. But I still have, I assume I'm going to have a better apartment than what I have now. Mine's kind of run down. So. Ah, okay. I guess I, I, I kind of know where you are now. Yeah. Okay. Very much near the beginning. Probably about two hours, three hours in. Yeah. Grapplers. How many grapplers probably, are you facing? What kind of what? How many grapplers are you facing? Uh, there's two, and they're like in the bathroom. I'm trying to pressure this uh, club owner into uh, paying up to my gang and not to the other gang. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and he's this really wimpy guy that uh, you know keeps running from me and sending his his muscle to stop me and i'm doing pretty good beating everybody up you know they flash red i counter i punch them and all that stuff and then i get into the bathroom and uh, these two guys will tackle me and then it's like quick time event and sometimes i remember the buttons and sometimes i'm just hitting Uh, at once yeah okay (laughs) so it's it's not a okay what what you can do with the grapplers is you don't you don't wait to counter them you just go on the offensive just go into it yeah, go and go on the offensive and beat them up first. So if you if you manage to defeat one, uh-huh. then it's just then um then it's much easier because it's hard to defend against two grapplers because you can't counter attack them. Yeah, it's like there's no real uh, notice that what they're gonna do. So that sounds like good advice. I'm just gonna go at it. Yeah, yeah. Just go on the offensive and try to see whether you can defeat one. And then once you defeat one, it becomes easier. Then you can just defeat the other. <laughs> and I, I did look up on YouTube to somebody else getting through that level, and that's exactly what they were doing. Is they were just really aggressively going at it. But only so with their grapplers. When there are no grapplers, it's, it's better to be defensive. It's okay. So I'll stay with that technique, and then when I open up that bathroom door, I'm just going to go all out and uh, try to wail on these guys, make them pay up, because that's the kind of guy I am. Is, uh... <laughs> oh, you're, you're, it looks like you're suited to be a gangster in Hong Kong then. Yeah, I think I'll be ready. This is sort of like an audition for me to be a gangster in Hong Kong. <laughs> Which is a lifelong dream. From the Carolinas to Hong Kong <laughs> to crime in the triads. Because mm, I love the pork sandwiches. <laughs> they have vendors there all over the place with different foods. So. Yeah, yeah. And these are, those are real Chinese food too. Yeah, and I had an ice cream bar before going into that that club to beat everybody up. It's like I'm gonna go beat up some people. Ooh, ice cream! <laughs> That's why I love the game. So that's where I'm at. But but the storyline is uh, enjoyable. But uh, from Zach yeah, talking with me, yeah, really early. So I'm not sure if you really want to talk about those stuff that's happening. Oh, is there spoilers? Yeah. Well. Yeah, kind of. I, I think it's more. It's, it's cooler if you just experience it on your own. Yeah, you want me to predict what I think the storyline is? I think this guy is going to rise up. He's going to get kind of friendly with the people over there, and he's going to have mixed feelings about uh, the cops, you know, and, and his his friends in the gang. And he's ultimately going to do the right thing, which is a cop thing, but he's going to feel terrible about it. And then the curtain will fall. So. Well, you do get to choose the kind of actions you take, right? Like, Actually, no. It's really linear. Just give no? It. Well, you do get negative points for running people over, I'm going to guess. I think you, you lose, lose money. <laughs> you lose you lose cop points, so you oh. just get less perks. Oh, yeah. that's... Well, yeah. that's... Yeah. So you have, like, cop points and you have gangster points. So if when, you, you, when you're beating people up really violently, you gain more gangster points. Huh. 
Oh yeah. So another thing, Ted, you if you have the chance to do environmental kills, always do the environmental kills. Those are kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they, they actually get you more experience, more gangster experience. Yeah, they, in that club, for example, you ram them into an, a giant aquarium, and the glass breaks, and the water flows out. You really feel like you're on the set of a movie doing all this stuff, jamming their heads yeah, inside some, car speakers. Some stuff or that's really gruesome, though. You those like you impale some kids, uh, folks, and and there's one scene where you're fighting in the car garage, and there, there's a there's a there's a machine that that just hold up uh, the, the motor from a car. Um, and what you do is you, you smash the guy into the car and then you drop the machine on his head. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude, that's really gruesome. <laughs> and, and I don't know how, I'm feeling a little bad for thinking it's fun and funny, but it's just, it's so completely be out of my reality that uh, that it's enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear this game is about ludonarrative dissonance, or maybe it isn't. Well, that, that's that's my thesis. Uh, no one, no one really has come and proven me right or wrong yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you explain what ludonarrative dissonance is to the viewers slash listeners? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, not an expert on it, uh, but I believe the guy who first came up with it was Clint Hawking, um, who was was a game game writer, right? For uh, uh, what game? I believe so. <laughs> okay, we can Google that okay, later. Okay, um, yes, it is correct. You are correct. He made he made a couple of games, right? Clint Hawking. Um, anyway, the the term Ludo narrative dissonance uh, was used to describe the, the the dissonance or the the lack of compatibility between the narrative of the game, which is what the story and the themes of the story are supposed to encourage, versus the mechanics of the game. Uh, the actual gameplay. So, for example, if the game is about being a peaceful person, but the gameplay is all about beating people up, um, then the gameplay seems to conflict with the, the main thrust of the narrative. And so, he coins that the Ludo narrative dissonance, because as a player, you feel, wait, I'm, I'm supposed to be this nice guy, right? So, why am I being asked by the game to beat people up? So, that's, that's kind of weird. So, that's how the, I think that's how the term is commonly understood in the, in the gaming so, community. Let's see if I can spit that back out. Uh, it, there's like a disconnect then between what the storyline or the character is supposed to be about and what you actually do when you're playing the game. Yeah, kind of, kind of. That's, that's, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, that sounds close enough. And I've never thought about that, but you're right. That would be like a, a parent hitting their kid, saying, "We don't hit, don't hit, don't hit, bad boy." You know? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I think it requires some sort of distance or removal from the events of the game because to be honest I've never had that experience with the game ever. I've only had the feeling of a frustration or anger when I am losing. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's just me because I I'm the sort of person that just accepts a narrative as it is and whatever comes with it. Or yeah. if there's no narrative at all I just like messing around the mechanics. You know, like in Grand Theft Auto, I could really care less about the narrative, and I just run around and do things. But, you know, it, maybe this is just for different groups of people kind of react to video games in different ways. Yeah, yeah. and I, the last couple of months I've been reading up on how and why people play video games, and and there, <clears throat> there are like two or three separate kind of motivations behind playing video games. So one group of people, I think those that are more like Zach, 
they, to them games are toys. You you play games because you enjoy playing games, and and because they trigger a certain kind of <clears throat> of sense of of mastery over the the toy. Like like okay, I'm really skilled at this, and I really enjoy being skillful at this game. Hmm. So there's some folks who are like Zach, right? Does that describe you? Uh, in part, yes. Yeah. Well, there are other folks who who, who treat games like movies. Like okay, you know, I I go to a movie because I, <clears throat> I want to experience uh, uh this piece of art which tells me a story, but not just a story, but but moves me because when I place myself into the scenario and I experience it as it's being shown to me, I uh you know I, I have emotions and I start to I start to see things in a different light, um and and <clears throat> there are people like that, and of course there are people in shades in between, uh so the peop the the the, the more uh, narrative people or the, the people who see games kind of like movies. These are people whom whom treat the story much more seriously, who feel much more for the story. Um, and there are games that cater to folks like that as well. I think like Last of Us is, for example, is catered to folks who who who, who really dig deep uh, nuanced narratives. Um, and then and then, but at the same time, it's a video game, right? So you got a controller, you got to do things with a controller. And when when the game, because most most like 80-90% of our games revolve around violence of some kind um, when a game makes us do violence and the narrative is not about violence it, that, 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 the disconnect comes in hmm. was there a third type or did I miss that? Uh, there's a type that, that plays games because they enjoy being with people and interacting with people huh. the social folks okay so I'd say I'm a combination of one and three mm, okay <laughs> hey Ted how about you? um you know what? I had an email come up for work, and <laughs> I, was, I was responding to it. I apologize. Okay, a uh, quick summary. People play games for different reasons, according to Yen Wang. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a book I read. I've okay. a couple of yeah. One, some people play games as toys, and they desire mastery over them, and that's what provides fun. Two, some people play games for narratives and see them as works of art that they can see messages and empathize with characters and the sort of the traditional movie experience sort of thing. And then three, some people play games to play them with other people and more about there, human relationships than the game itself. There is one more category. Uh, this is one that, that I, I think I fit in the most. Uh, that is, some people play games because uh, games give them a sense of autonomy and uh, control. Hmm. Um, and, and games that cater to the folks like this are your your... Your, your, your sandbox games, your RPG games, where your decisions make a big difference in the, the, the game, um, and 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 the, it's it's a bit related to the mastery folks, but it's the the, the, the the desire is a bit different. It's not I desire to be a master, uh, but I desire to be independent. I desire to be autonomous. I de I desire to control my own fate. Um, yeah, slightly different kind of motivation, and I think I, I that that. I'm really that kind of gamer. Um, although, from a theological point of view and from a from a spirituality point of view, um, you, I realize that I'm attracted to games like that because uh, you don't feel like that in real life. You feel like as if I have no control over my fate in real life. So I greatly value this experience, which which simulates the fact that I have control over my fate, uh, which is very interesting from a from a theological spiritual point of view. Okay, so Ted. Yes, sir. Do you fit in any of those categories? You know, what I've felt like when I've been playing, especially Sleeping Dog, is 
I think the I've been a little blown away by the colors and the graphics, um, <laughs> and the sort of the freedom that the game kind of gives. Uh, the freedom in a sense where I can go almost anywhere and do. I, I I'm not a big uh, GTA person. So this one has almost been a little bit more like a GTA, but I seem to have a purpose a little bit that might be a good purpose. I'm not sure 100%, but uh, it seems to be that that it is since I'm an undercover cop trying to uh, do something good. So uh, I do feel I do feel sort of a sense of fate or destiny as I'm playing it. And again, I don't know what's going to happen. I truly I haven't read about it or played or, or watched somebody else play it i'm going through it truly step by step so uh but i do sort of feel like there is some sort of destiny <laughs> for me as this character uh hmm. so a little bit about so i don't know what motivates me to play it other than that it's it's just been s- sort of the um the mechanics seem sound enough that make me want to play i haven't gotten too frustrated uh even though again i'm not doing well at this particular spot i know that i got what it takes to get past it and uh, keep going i know a lot of people have been saying that sleepy nose is pretty good so i'm gonna have to say that thank you for playing it so that i don't have to <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you yen for playing it already so <laughs> yeah because i i mostly have not been playing anything narrative or anything related to of course part. not yeah i've been playing think I've tried this. yeah what Uncharted recently, right? Yeah, I did play Uncharted recently, but right now I'm playing King of Fighters 13. Repeatedly and often. If my Steam... I, I used to be a, yeah, I used to be a King of Fighters person. Uh, that was way back in 1999. Really? KOF 99? Yeah. KOF 97, 98, 99, and I stopped there. Ah, uh, well you did play like the best one. KOF 98, so... 98 is the best? Yeah, well oh, it's still being played competitively now, so... Wow, okay. Yeah, well, it's because it's the dream match thing. Okay, so for those who don't know, King of Fighters is sort of SNK, who was the competitor to Capcom's crossover series, where they basically had people from all different franchises, which no longer they create games for, that sort <laughs> of fight in a big sort of crossover thing. So if I, I want to call it the first crossover sort of fighting game, like Marvel versus Capcom, that sort of thing, but. Uh, what's unique about King of Fighters is that unlike Street Fighter, it is a lot more about offense and less about defense. So it's very fast-paced, and if you have no idea what you're doing, you totally just get blown up, which is what's happening to me right now because I'm bad at it. So, but, you know, 46 hours in, I imagine I'd be a little bit better, but I'm not. 46 hours? Yeah, well, my fingers would hurt. Well, I am playing on an arcade stick, so. Oh, that would help. Yeah, Yeah. it does help a lot. But I'm really bad at it, and I want to get better at it. So perhaps this is going to feed, go in an ultimate feedback loop where I I continually play the game to get better, and then find out that I'm worse, and then continue to play to get better. And I can see why people play fighting games this way. It's sort of a, you play the game, and then you do horrible at it, and then you figure out and you isolate the problems objectively and say, how am I bad at this, and how can I be better at this? So, I can see why people play fighting games now. <laughs> so, it's like a sport. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. effectively a sport, just through the medium, the same medium that we play our RPGs. But it's, it's really a different category altogether. Hmm. 
Yeah. Hey, Ted, do you play any fighting games? Or have you ever? Um, I played on the Super NES Street Fighter Tournament Edition, the Street Fighter 2 Tournament Edition, yeah. with a friend. That was back when it first came out, I guess 92 or so. <laughs> and, and enjoyed that quite a bit with that particular friend. Uh, don't I have not enjoyed this very much doing single player. Yeah, it's not really a single player kind of thing. But I, I have found maybe again maybe that pro controller thing would make it easier. But I cannot play those games for too long without my uh, my hands and my wrist hurting. Yeah, and maybe it's because I'm 46. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're definitely not designed with controllers in mind. So, yeah, know, yeah. They're well, they're made. Setting. Yeah, they're made for that arcade experience. Yeah. And uh, and I did play them some in the in the arcades. Um, boy, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I played. I certainly played uh, the one where you could be a dinosaur sometimes. Was it something Carnage or Primal, Primal, Rage? Primal Rage? Yeah, I played that in the arcade because, you know, it had dinosaurs. I mean, that was cool. Well, duh, you got to play the with, dinosaur game. Yeah, with like the cavemen in the background, like <laughs> cheering or running for their lives or whatever it is. I think you can eat people, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... But yeah, I enjoy this. But again, I, part of it is just the the reflex and the uh, the effect it has on my my hands that keeps me from playing those more. It's nice to be twenty six, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> There's advantages to being forty six too. Yeah, like people will listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but that could be one of them. But uh, it definitely, I, I at forty six, I can buy whatever game system I want, and at twenty six, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> this is also true of me. <laughs> well, fellas, I do have to get, to go to work. I'm sorry that I got interrupted by uh, by emails, but okay. Um, well, do you want to wrap this up? I mean, it's sure. Let's wrap it up. It's yeah. wrap up with with Zach. <laughs> that was horrible. I was trying to do a little announcer thing and, and make that a little more exciting. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Well, this podcast was all over the place. And I have no idea how anyone will respond to it, but I, I assume that you'll love our entertaining voices and will lull you to sleep softly as you <laughs> listen <laughs> at some other point in time. And I'll listen to myself follow, and fall asleep. And for the listeners, too, I believe I'm speaking correctly here, Zach, but we are working hard to produce more podcasts uh, this year. Yeah, so if you like the podcast, please tell us or comment on this podcast whenever it's posted because I'd really like to know what people think about it and what they'd like to hear on the Theology Gaming Podcast. But this time we didn't really talk much about theology, but that tends to happen sometimes. Hey, we, we talked about populace for, like, 45 seconds <laughs> and we did talk about C.S. Lewis a bit so yeah that's right we're all over the place so so if, if anything the Theology Gaming Variety Show is a pretty good title <laughs> yeah so and then a uh, random guest appearance by Yen Wang hi <laughs> how's it going <laughs> okay so to wrap this up thank you for listening to Theology Gaming Podcast if you'd like to know more about us go to theologygaming.com if you'd like to help us out, go on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And if you would like, please write a review. It does help us out. I don't care what anybody else says. I love you all, even if you hate me. <laughs> if you'd like to ask some questions, we have a forum on the Christian Geek Central website, which is at christiangeekcentral.com. There you can ask questions of us. It doesn't matter what those questions are. We'll try our best to answer them. If you don't ask us any questions, we will be very sad. 
We'll have to start making up our own questions as though they were done by somebody. We will make up anonymous internet names, and then we'll ask ourselves <laughs> questions. And it will sound really professional, but it won't actually be real. So please and we don't... Want, we want real. We don't want to lie. Please don't make us do that. Yes. Please ask us questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe we have a question email, but I couldn't be bothered to really remember what it's called. I think wow. it's... Yeah, I think it's questions at theologygaming.com, but you know what? I'm going to double check right now, and then I'm going to edit this out later. And do it as a voiceover. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Excellent. I'm going to log in and see what the name of this is. You know, now you can tell that I don't check this very often. It's questions at well, theologygaming.com. We do check this often, people who you want time. to use this. We check it all the time. Yeah, it comes it. in on our phones and mobile devices. Yeah, it's all the time I check this. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> if you'd like to, there it is. So this has been the Collectathon Theology Gaming Variety Hour Sleeping Dogs Podcast. Brought to you by Ted Loring and Daniel. Well, have a great day, everybody. Yep, bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that was fun.